You're listening to Jewish Matters with Rabbi Jonathan Feldman. This is Jewish Matters podcast, and tonight we have an amazing Parsha. This week's Torah section, Toldot, explores a lot of fascinating issues between Jews and non-Jews, the future of the Jewish people, the ethical issues of how do you deal with someone who is a bad person, when do the ends justify the means, are you allowed to use subterfuge or lying to achieve your uh, seemingly righteous or justified ends, and uh, the family relationships that unfold in Genesis in the next generation. So the Parsha begins with the birth of Yaakov and Esau. And it tells us already in the womb that the two Fidai were struggling together. Uh, they were in conflict. Rivka, the mother, goes to find out what's going on to a prophet and finds out that these two people are going to be, these two infants are going to be few, two future nations that will be in struggle with each other, that will have a, a seesaw. One will rise and the other will be down than the other one, but ultimately uh, the older one will serve the younger one. And so that's even before they're born. The rabbis tell us that already in the womb, Esau, when they passed a, she passed a house of idolatry, was struggling to get out. When they passed a house of, house of monotheism, Yaakov was struggling to get out. And this rabbinic teaching raises deep questions about predetermination. Uh, are we predisposed, first of all, to a certain personality type? And we'll see that in a second. But even more uh, troubling, are we predisposed to a certain moral inclination, which this Midrash seems to be saying uh, was the case. So it says uh, the two children grew up. Yaakov was an Ishtam Yoshevolim, was a, a pure person who sat in tents, which is code for studied Torah or was involved in spiritual matters. And Esau was a man of the field who hunted with his mouth. Now he was a hunter, okay. Uh, hunting in Judaism isn't considered to be uh, the most spiritual thing one can do. Uh, in the 19th century, the Hatam Sofer, when asked is allowed to hunt for sport, says simply, Jews don't do this. It's not a Jewish thing to just go kill animals. Judaism especially, since you cannot eat the animal. But the rabbis picture Esau as being violent, violent and cruel. Um, and we'll also say, what does it mean he hunted the feed with his mouth? We'll get to that in a second. But the rabbis have a very negative picture of Esau. Now, where do we see that in the text? So we actually do see it. Because uh, in the next scene, Esau will deprecate the, the right of firstborn. He will not value the mission of the family and carrying it on as the firstborn. He went out and married local women, which uh, Abraham had prohibited for Isaac, and Isaac had, uh, was very upset about, so he definitely got the message not to. And when his brother ultimately takes the blessing, he wants to kill him. 
Uh, you can be upset at your brother. You can even feel he uh, deceived or, uh, or double-crossed you, but you don't go kill him. So we do see that the Torah itself paints the negative pictures of Esau. Now, uh, the next scene uh, takes an aside almost from the main drama of the Parsha of these two brothers. And it goes off into the little bit we have about focusing on Isaac's life. Now, we did have Isaac being brought up as an offering. We did have a shidduch being found for Isaac. Both of those are passive things that were done for or to Isaac. The only thing we really see him doing here is digging wells, which the Torah points out were the same wells that Abraham had dug. And we see him having another encounter with Abimelech, exactly the same as Abraham, says his wife is his sister. Abimelech finds out, why did you do this to me? And so some point out that Isaac, as we see, is not the doer that Abraham was. He isn't fighting wars, making alliances, growing his flock, although he did prosper. Uh, but he is more of an internal personality. He is uh, internal strength and spirituality. And that's not about what have you accomplished in the world. That's how, about who you become, your relationship to God. And so he impacted the world in a different way. And Judaism certainly values the internal as well as the external. So we are wowed by Abraham, maybe according to a certain outlook, not by Isaac, but that's because so much of what he was about was internal. And um, although what we do see, and I mentioned this before, is that each of the patriarchs was tested against their nature. Abraham is pure love and givingness. He is tested to have to learn to be tough and almost cruel. He has to kick his son, Ishmael, out of the home because he's a bad influence. And he has to bring up his son, Isaac, as an offering. Isaac, whose quality is uh, gvura, uh, internal strength and accountability, his well is stolen by the neighbors. What does he do? He just moves on. He drops it. He doesn't fight. And the well's taken again, and he moves on again. And eventually he gets to Rechlavot, to expansiveness. When he, and we're also told that the wells could symbolize the spirituality he was tapping into. Water represents spirituality. So back to our brothers. Now, uh, it says that Isaac loved Esau and Rebekah because he uh, hunted with his mouth. And Rebekah loved Uh, sorry, love, uh, loved uh, Yaakov. So Isaac loved Esau and Rebekah, Rivka loved Yaakov. So how could Yitzchak have loved Esau? We see he's a hunter, he's impulsive. Um, so how do we see his impulsiveness? So this is the most telling about uh, Esau. And Isaac wanted to give him the blessing, but in the scene before that, what we see is that uh, Yaakov sets up Esau, so to speak. Esau is out hunting. 
he's famished and hungry and he's coming in from the fields. Yaakov is there with a big pot of stew. And he says, give me something to eat. I'm going to die. Lack of impulse control. Uh, Living in the moment. uh, Being driven by his bodily drives and needs. And Jacob said, what are you going to give me? And so he says, sell me the birthright. And Esau says a strange thing. I'm going to die anyway. What is this birthright for me? Which could mean I'm a hunter and I have a dangerous profession. Or it could simply mean I'm going on a... uh, Life has no purpose, ultimately. Everything is just this worldly. And this right of firstborn, which all the commentators say, represented the spiritual carrying on of the legacy of Abraham. Remember, later on, the firstborn was supposed to have the roles of the Kohanim, uh, which are the spiritual teachers. So he does not want this responsibility of being the spiritual, moral heir to Abraham. He's chosen a different life path. And um, so he sells it to Yaakov. Now, how can Yaakov buy it for a pot of lentils? Forget a second, the setup. But if Esau really did uh, buy it, so how can you buy it for a pot of lentils? It's certainly worth more than that. The commentators debate this in Jewish law. If you buy something underpriced, uh, the sale's voided. So Rav Simcha Zissel, one of the great ethical teachers, says that ultimately this was a mitzvah, the role of firstborn. And he says that the value of a mitzvah is really only the value that you give it. And since for Esau it wasn't important, he didn't value it, this is all it was worth. So he could sell it for that price, so to speak. So it says then, he got up, he went, he ate, he drank, he went, and he deprecated the uh, role of firstborn, v'yivez. And here we see again the negative caricature of Esau deprecating that which was important, the family values. And then, as I said, he goes off and marries a woman from outside of the clan, which uh, the family did not sanction. So, fast forward. And um, now, let's pause here and ask. So, how could Isaac have loved Esau? So, we're told that Esau... Uh, hunted with his mouth. Now, one of the things he did is he brought his father food. So, especially the Hasidic masters tell us that Esau had greatness in him. And he performed the mitzvah of Kibud Av. He was the one who was always there, making sure his father was provided for, helping Yitzchak, taking care of him. The rabbis also say, though, hunting with your mouth could mean deceptiveness. He would ask him these questions. Uh, is salt kosher? Uh, showing uh, an insincere piety and trying to deceive his father. So either he tried to bribe his father or tried to deceive his father. That's the way they view it. But back to our question of could Esau have been predisposed towards uh, being bad, being immoral? How do we understand this? So Rabbi Hirsch takes a unique approach. It says the two boys were brought up and Jacob was the, was the spiritual one. Esau was in the fields. And what Rabbi Hirsch says is that the parents tried to educate them both in the same way, in the tradition of Abraham, uh, to be spiritual personalities. And that wasn't Esau. 
And because of that, his strengths were not channeled in the proper way. And that's why he went off, so to speak. And we're told that Esau was born red. Uh, Esau means ready-made. He was born hairy. And uh, his hair was red. So we see another figure in Jewish history who was emotional, impulsive, somewhat violent. And that was King David, who was also a redhead. But King David channeled his emotional ups and downs into the greatest poetry ever written, the Book of Psalms. He channeled his violence into fighting God's wars, although he was a mercenary before that. And he knew what to do with his nature, whereas Esau, it seems, was not channeled that way. That's Rabbi Hirsch. Um, others will say that uh, he could have achieved greatness, but he simply uh, morally stumbled. And, uh, and we'll see, uh, we'll pay for his mistakes. So now, how could Isaac want to give the blessing to Esau? So how can say he loved him uh, as opposed to Yaakov, who Rivka loved? And one explanation is this, and this is uh, that uh, is said by the Chidush uh, This is the, uh, so he says that uh, Esau, in a sense, embodied what Yitzchak was, a lot in common, their strength, their power. We said Yitzchak's power was internal, Esau's was external. So in a sense, you could say that Yitzchak saw in himself a similar quality, but yet Esau was living it in the way Yitzchak couldn't. Esau could fight. Esau could build things in the material world. And they knew that they were destined to build a, uh, a nation of God. God had told that to Abraham. And perhaps Isaac saw in him also the ability to build this nation, which he didn't see in his son Yaakov, who was the more studious internal type like him. Some people say that Yaakov started out as a Yitzchak in a certain sense, in his spiritual purity. So either Isaac was deceived or he also had reasons to value the qualities. But Rebecca saw through this. She saw through it, according to some, because she was raised in the house with Lavan, who we'll see was a uh, trickster and was not, uh, didn't have integrity. So she knew a trickster when she saw it. And so she says to Jacob, dress up like your brother and go get the blessing. Now, Yaakov could have said, Mom, you know, how could I do this to my father? Uh, it's wrong. Um, but he doesn't. What does he say? But he'll know that I'm not Esau. He gives her a practical question, which she takes care of. She gets, she sews him hairy uh, arm covers and uh, makes him the food that Yitzhak had asked uh, Esau to bring to him. So he goes into his father and he says, who are you? First he says, how did you get the food so quickly? He said, God sent it to me. Already kind of a red light. And then he says, come here so I can feel you. 
uh, and he feels the hairy arms, but he still says, who are you? And Yaakov lies and says, I am your firstborn, Esau. Shocking. How could this be? How do we understand that? So, and how do we understand that his mother put him up to this? So let's first deal with the practical, with the larger question of how is this justified? So first of all, um, according to many commentators, Yaakov had bought the right to the firstborn. And the blessing was the follow-through to that right which he had bought. Now, it could very well be, according to many believe, that, uh, and Rivka had the prophecy that the older would serve the younger. But many say that Rivka never told Yitzhak the prophecy, and that Yitzhak didn't necessarily even know that Yaakov had bought the right of firstborn. Then the question is, why didn't Rivka just go and tell Yitzhak, look, your son isn't all he's cut out to be. That's what Sarah did with Abraham. She said Ishmael is a troublemaker. Is it that she didn't think he would listen? Is it that she was modest and would not stand up to her husband, but had to use indirect means? It's not clear. But she takes matters into her own hands. So how could Yaakov lie? And this is a very difficult moral dilemma of if you say that Esau was manipulating his father and the stakes were so high, are you allowed to use subterfuge against a trickster? And here the rabbis say yes. The rabbis say that if you're someone who is insincere, who is not a good person, and they're about to achieve certain ends, uh, you can uh, take up with them with their own strategy, their own means. So in a sense, uh, to a certain extent, the means do justify the ends under certain conditions to take on a person who is a bad person. And he knows that Asaph was manipulating his father. He knows that it'll be a disaster if he tries to take on the family mantle. We already saw that he de deprecated the right, the role of firstborn. In terms of the lie, so this is a long issue, not for tonight. But the Torah says, distance yourself from falsehood. The prohibition of lying in the Ten Commandments is talking about a court of law. In real life, there are many subtle gray areas. And he said it, though, in the way of saying, I am, Anochi, who I am, but your firstborn is Esau. So he said it in a way that it could be construed not as a lie. Why does that help? Because when you have to lie, you don't want to have to, be, have to do it so explicitly, even though clearly he was out to deceive Yitzchak. Now let's talk about Yitzchak. If he didn't know who was in front of him, if he had questions or doubts, how could he give the blessing? So um, some of the commentators, the uh, Sfas Emes says, that Yitzchak never intended to give the real blessing to Esau. The blessing he gave Yaakov was a blessing for material wealth and for strength. The final blessing of the promise of the land, Yitzhak only gave at the very end before Yaakov leaves to go off to find a wife. So, um, and furthermore, once he is confused, what does Yitzhak say? The hands are the hands of, uh, the voice is the voice of Yaakov, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And this is a key statement because according to the Chidusha Yitzchak realized that something was going on here. 
And he actually realized that this was Yaakov. Not all commentaries say this. So if, he said, Yaakov has the hands of Esau, if he can learn to manipulate, to uh, kind of wheel and deal in the world like his brother Esau can, but he still has the voice of Jacob, he still has his spiritual side, then I can give him the blessing. Very original uh, understanding. So why was he so afraid? It said he had a great trembling because he realized that Esau might kill him or might kill Yaakov. He never knew what he was capable of. And according to that, maybe Yitzhak did understand what Esau was about. The other way to understand it is just simply that he wasn't sure he still gave the blessing and his great fear, his great trembling was this. He realized that just like Yaakov had deceived him, Yitzchak had been deceiving him the whole time. And this is why Rivka set up Yaakov to deceive Yitzchak, to give, to teach him a lesson, for him to see how he's been deceived by his son Yitzchak. That's what Rabbi Shimshon Falhirsch said. And so, uh, so he learned that lesson. Esau then begs for a blessing. He says, I've already given it. And then he says, don't give something for me, my father. And he gives him a blessing without saying, may God grant you the blessing of the earth. He just says, may you have the blessing of the earth. So um, he realized that Esau wasn't living in this godly relationship and didn't have that aspect of godliness in his worldly life. Now, one last thing is that even though we have found basis to justify Yaakov's actions, there are sources, rabbis say, that Yaakov still paid for his subterfuge, still paid for what he did to Esau. How is that? It's They say that the tears that Esau shed, that he raised his voice and he cried, he, he let out a great cry, and then later he raised his voice and he, and he cried, that the tears that Esau shed would in future be tears that the Jewish people would shed at the hands of Esau. Measure for measure. He's being punished. Yaakov's descendants will be punished for the pain that Yaakov caused to Esau and be doled out by Esau's descendants who are considered to be Christianity. So the millennia of persecution under the hand of Christians fulfills the biblical prophecy at the beginning that one will rise and one will fall. But ultimately, the younger, older one will serve the younger. The second way we see that Jacob was paid back is his brother-in-law, Lavan. Sorry, his father-in-law, Lavan. Uh, Jacob works seven years in next week's Parsha to marry Rachel. And when he has the sisters switched on him, the older sisters switched, Leah is the one who is put under in the, in the marital bed. Um, what does Lavan say? In our place, we don't switch the older for the younger. A direct dig at what Yaakov had done and a payback. And we see also in the language, Esau raised up his voice and cried, the only other time that expression is used in the Torah is when Yaakov meets Rachel. He raised up his voice and cried out. Why? We don't know. Could it have been that he understood that there was going to be a lot of heartbreak 
in his future with her. It could be. So, Rebecca tells Yaakov, your brother is just waiting for your father to die and he's going to kill you, so we have to send you off. They say, which was true, that they, she tells Yitzchak, we have to send Yaakov off to go find a wife. And they send him off. Yitzhak gives him the full blessing of the descendants of Abraham, and he goes off. And um, and it says that Esau saw that marrying these non-Jewish wives was caused pain to his parents, so he went and took a wife from the daughters of Ishmael. But Ishmael had been sent out of the family, so even though he tried to fix things and married one of the descendants of Abraham, it still didn't really fix things. Next week, we pick up with the story of Jacob and his wedding and his uh, future challenges with his father-in-law. Have a good evening.